Welcome to Southern Illinois Worship Center. Today, you'll be hearing a powerful message from our latest series. Let's listen in now. We just stand and give God praise for those baptisms and what God is doing in lives and hearts and men and women. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. You can be seated next week if you would like for Pastor Kerry to baptize your whole family. He is willing and able to do that. What a, what a treasure uh, to be able to do that and what a treasure Pastor Kerry is. What a mighty, mighty man of God Pastor Kerry is. I want to say I watched last week. I started off driving through Nashville. I got through Evan preaching and drove through the tears. PJ kind of wrecked me. Then the devil tried me. I sat in construction for an hour and I listened to Aaron. And then I got to listen to Pastor Ed. What a marvelous job those four men did last Sunday. Tremendous men sharing their stories and so PJ and Evan kind of had to do that. Aaron and Ed had a choice, so thank you for choosing to do it. And I hope you enjoyed Father's Day. I hope you had a good Father's Day week. And uh, I know what time it is, so it's 11-11. So when I was a kid, that was one 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 way to God. Um, but uh, if you give me a uh, couple hours, I'll preach to you a little bit. Um, we have to have altar calls in the middle of the service because most of you run out while we're having the altar call. So we're just trying to trick you a little bit and have multiple altar calls during the service. So um, we're going to finish the series today called uh, the, three, or the Four C's. The next week, we're going to go from being an average student of Four C's, we're going to go to Straight A's. And we're going to start a series uh, called the Straight A's. We're going to go through authority, the spirit of Athaliah. Alignment and assignment and acceleration are going to be some of the topics we're going to cover. And just to kind of give you an idea, uh, maybe you've never even heard of Athaliah, but Athaliah was a, a woman in the Bible who became queen, and the Bible says that she killed all the seed royal. I Meaning she killed any person who had a right to claim the throne, any person who was a child or relative of the king. And this morning while I was praying about it, the Lord just kind of spoke to me about it that we don't even know, most of us don't even know who Athaliah is or was in the Bible. But you're actually seeing that spirit alive right now on the face of the earth. Because every child has a right to be an heir of Jesus Christ. Which makes them... A child of the king. And the spirit of Athaliah wants to kill all people who have a right to be a joint heir with Christ. And we're seeing it right now in our world right now. And that's all I'm going to say about that. So hopefully you have a Bible today. Turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 22. We're going to Luke 22. We're going to jump back to 2 Kings chapter 5. And then if the Lord wills, we'll end in Romans chapter 12. We're going to talk today about consecration and commitment. So consecration and commitment. So in Luke 22, which is where we've based this whole series out of, in Luke 22, Jesus is talking to his disciples in verse 15, and he said to them, to the disciples, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So Jesus said, I know what's coming down the road, but I have to do something with you before I go do that. Now, how many of you, before the night or before you suffered, you would be thinking about preparing a meal for the very people who were going to deny you? Or the very person who was going to betray you? Jesus, though, was so committed and so consecrated to his purpose that it didn't matter 
who was around him or what was going to be in front of him, he was going to finish what he was called to do. This is the concept that we have to get as believers right now. That no matter who is around us, who will betray us, or who will deny us, that God has a calling on our lives. And we will do the will of God for our lives no matter what it takes to finish the race that God has set before us. You have to be that committed, especially, right? The days of just easy Christianity are over. The days of patty cake church are over. You're going to have to make a decision that no matter what the government says, the news media says, your family says, the people that you thought were your friends say, that I am persuaded that he is able and I'm going to finish this race and I'm going to keep the faith. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to back up. I'm not going to water it down. I'm not going to be a lukewarm Christian. I'm not going to be a lackadaisical Christian, but I am going to finish this thing and I'm going to finish what God has called me to finish. I'm going to do the will of God for my life. Hell may come and the waves may roll, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's how committed you're going to have to be because it ain't going to be popular anymore. It ain't going to be the thing to do anymore, but there's a call of God on your life. So we're going to have a fervent desire before we suffer. And we're going to have a fervent desire while we suffer. No matter what's said, you're going to have to finish the race and keep the faith. And no doubt there will be some thoughts that come in your mind when you're going through it. Luke 22, verse 42, these are the thoughts that were going through Jesus' mind. He said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. I don't want to go through this. And any person who says, I enjoy this, they need to pray through because they're lying to you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Our commitment is not to our will. Our commitment is to the will of God. I understand what the, the need to feel wanted and the need to feel loved and cared for and everybody loves you and everybody likes you. And we have taught people in air that Jesus came to bring peace. Jesus said, I come to divide I come to set truth against evil and light against darkness. Go read it. He said, I'm even, it's going to divide to the point where your own home table is going to be divided. He said, father is going to be against son and mother against daughter and son-in-law. This is what he said. So you're going to have to make a decision. I I may be suffering through some things, but I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm on God's side. And I wish this would pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, O Lord. I I wish this cup would pass from me, but Lord... I'm consecrated, I'm set apart, and I'm committed to finishing this thing. See, maybe, maybe we don't understand consecration. Consecration simply means to declare something, which is what we're doing right now, or to make something sacred. My walk with the Lord and my personal relationship with the Lord is sacred to me. It's consecrated to me. There are things in my life that I do for God that I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to do that for God. Because, listen, the Lord did something for me that he necessarily didn't want to do. But I'm so glad that he did. Just to declare something or to make something sacred. And our worship team and then Pastor Michael were declaring something just a few minutes ago. Now, they got an outline of my sermon. They had no idea what I was going to preach. And this is how God works. I wrote an outline over two years ago. 
They had no idea what I was going to preach. I didn't tell them what to sing today. I didn't tell Pastor Michael what to say. I live with Melissa, but I don't tell her what I'm going to preach. I just say, here's my notes that you get, which is what you have in your hand, and they got the fill-ins already. But God, in his orchestrating power, knew what he asked me to preach two years ago, and then began to put words in the mouth of the worship leaders, then began to put words in the mouth of the oversight pastors today, and all of it talking about rivers, talking about the Lord is never going to let you down, and the Lord began to confirm everything that he wants to say to you today. Not once, not twice, but three times. And the word says, let every word be established out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. So I want to tell you, that God is going to do something in this place. So we declare this moment, this house, this service to be sacred and holy. And all of hell may try to do whatever he wants to do to rob you of what God wants to do in your life, but we declare it set apart today. It's a solemn dedication to a special purpose or service. Jesus was dedicated to his purpose or his service. It means to be associated with the sacred. And sometimes things go on in church and it happens so often that we forget that that's sacred. To feel the presence of God, we forget that that's sacred. To see people baptized, we forget that that's sacred. To see people's lives change, we forget that that's an amazing thing. And my Lord, it needs to happen more and more and more. To associate with the sacred people or places or even things can be consecrated to the Lord, right? If this church left this building and we sold it to somebody else and they didn't make it a church, the reason why it was a church is because we made it that way. We consecrated the place. We declared it to be holy and sacred. Wherever we go, we can declare this is God's house. This is where God's presence presence resides. So when we look at Jesus in Luke 22, he's been set apart. His whole life, he's been set apart for something that is special, a special purpose, a special service. And then we see that he's committed to that consecrated life that he has. You have to be committed to be consecrated. And may I say, you all have to be consecrated to remain committed. You have to be dedicated to fulfill the commitment that God has for you and your life. And each of us have been given a choice to commit. Nobody forced you to come to church today. Nobody forced you that moment to, to give your life to Jesus. You made a choice. And then we have a choice every day to continue to walk that walk or to sit down, wallow in our misery, or to get up and be committed again. This is the commitment. You have a commitment every week. Right? It rained outside today. Many of you are probably thinking, I wonder if it's going to be raining around the time that we're going to walk into the building. I wonder if they're going to have the portico entrance. So we're deciding based on the conditions of our commitment. I'll serve the Lord, but I just wonder what the conditions are to maintain my commitment to Christ. It, it, it just baffles me sometimes. Just let me just uh, be me for a moment. The church has to invest in all kinds of things that no other business has to invest in because people complain about those things at the church, but then go pay money to other places that don't do anything that ask, they ask them to do. Let, let, let me give you an idea of this, okay? So uh, the other day I had to tell Pastor Tim we needed more golf carts because people don't want to walk. So we got the price for the golf carts. It was like $22,000 a piece. And I said, but you know what? We go to the Walmart and people have no problem walking into Walmart. <laughs> and I'm just going to wait out in here. And, and, and then not only will you walk into Walmart, you actually give money to Walmart for a cheap product. But we give you a ride in here, and you won't even pay. Because the people who complain the most give the least. 
And you have the most expensive thing that has ever been on the face of the earth because it costs heaven everything to give you what you've got right now. And here's what I'll get. I'll get an email later on today. Oh, he shouldn't be talking about giving like that. All them pastors want is your money. But you'll give money to the March of Dimes, and it is actually that. They give 10 cents of every dollar to the cause that you actually give the money to. And then 90 cents of every dollar goes to the people who are administering the March of Dimes. So, yeah, your dimes are marching right into the pockets of all the executives of that branch. But the church, this church... Just blesses Cairo, blesses our communities, and all we get told is, you're a bunch of money-grubbing preachers. Listen, you're going to have to decide that I'm committed to this no matter what anybody else says, and I've made a commitment to God on my finances, on my personal life, on my marriage, in every area of my life. This is what I'm going to do. But when it's tied, it's right, folks. I hear that all the time. Oh, you bunch of money-grubbing preachers. But you gave to the politician. And that politician won't change a thing in this country. I'm feeling, just feeling my help a little bit. Here's what's happened to us. Is small little things have gotten into our lives just like that. Golf carts, the parking attendant told me I did this, or that person didn't shake my hand, or the pastor did this, or that person said that, or they didn't sing the right song. They turned the lights on. They turned the lights off. They had the air conditioning on. They didn't have the air conditioning on. They didn't have the hot coffee yet. It's just only cold brew. There's nowhere in the Bible that says we have to serve coffee. All those things, they get in our crawl, and they start small, but they spread fast. That's point number one. They start small, but it begins to spread fast. Because then the enemy takes what you just, it just gets in your, it just, I just, just to burn my saddle. And the bird stays there long enough, and you'll quit riding the horse. So it starts small, but it spreads fast. Let me, let me, let me let's just go to 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, I'm probably going to read the whole chapter. So if you've got to go and you've you got a buffet going or whatever you got, God bless you. I fast on Sundays, and so I'm hungry right now. So if you got that, can you bring some back for me? 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman was a man who was well-known, a man who was well-favored, a man who was mightily used by the Lord is what the Scripture says. He's a mighty man. Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was great. He was an honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but, but, and every person has a butt. Everybody has something that's hidden down inside of us that regardless of the eulogy that was just read, there's always that. He was a mighty man. He was an honorable man. He had great favor over his life. He destroyed nations and built his nation up, but he was a leper. And leprosy, which is a type of sin, leprosy would start off very, very small. It was able to be concealed. It could be hidden. They could act like it didn't matter, like it wasn't there. They could wear the right clothes and put the cover over the top of it. And nobody would know that anything was going wrong in their life. But the leprosy, as air gets to leprosy, it begins to spread quicker and quicker and quicker. So it starts off very small and we can conceal it and we can put the right clothes over the top of it. We can put the right social media post over the top of it. We can dress right, talk right, sing right, lift our hands right, 
pray right, give right, and still have something that we are concealing and we don't want anybody else to know what's going on in our life. So we get the church folk walk and we get the church folk talk and we get all the things going on in our lives, but deep down inside of us, we know what the butt is in our life and the butt is destroying us because we refuse to take the makeup off and the concealment off and take the facade off and take the mask off and say, here, Lord, is what's going wrong in my life. I, I don't want to die with this great eulogy at the top, but down there at the bottom it says, but in the end of it, he did not keep the faith and he did not finish out his walk. Great mighty man, honorable man, but in the butt of every life, right? You can ask people, hey, man, how's it going? And usually you can tell when they're faking it, right? Man, things are great. Marriage is great. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. Everything's glorious. Everything's good. It's like the song out of the Lego movie. Everything's wonderful. Everything's amazing. And you're like, okay, but seriously, yeah, yeah but. And there you find the real issue. Way up here, oh, but. So you go, man, I thought your life was really good. Yeah, but church is really good, but. The pastor's really good, but. His wife, oh, but. The pastor, oh, but. And that but is your hang up. And that's where the enemy is playing. Not in your honor, not in your valor. He's playing in your yeah, but. Most times, especially at the beginning of it, it seems like it's no big deal. Just something small. In Naaman's case, it was leprosy. Started small, but it spread fast. First, he tried to hide it, tried to conceal it. But eventually and quickly... The spread became too much that he just could no longer conceal it. And Naaman's problem was such. Now, we don't find in Scripture anywhere where Naaman said to anybody he had leprosy. Everybody noticed that he had leprosy. Everybody saw that he had leprosy. Even his king saw that he had leprosy. Even a little girl that was in their house saw that Naaman had leprosy. Here's what the, the little girl says. She says, um, hey, I would that my Lord, meaning Naaman, could go over to the prophet's house in Samaria, and the prophet would heal him. Now, this little girl could be some of you. This little girl was taken captive. She is a slave in the house of Naaman. She's going through the trial of her life. But instead of getting down on her life because she was in the trial of her life, she chose not to get bitter. Instead, she chose to be a blessing. So sometimes we look at the trials of our life and we wonder what good can come out of it. Naaman would have never heard about the prophet Elisha had the little girl not been going through the trial of her life. And because she was in the trial of her life, she was able to bring hope to Naaman who was in the trial of his life. See, the little girl already knew about the hope that was in Samaria, but Naaman had no idea about the hope that was in Samaria. So it could be that you're where you're at today, not because of anything that you have done or any reason that's going on in your life, but it could be that there's somebody that doesn't know Jesus that your path is going to cross and they're going to say, there is no hope for me, there's no help for me, and you're going to say, I would that you knew my Jesus. Because if you knew my Jesus, he'd heal your body, he'd touch your family, he'd heal your marriage, and he'd bless you beyond compare. But here's what we do when we get in a trial. Woe is me. And you stop right there. You don't even finish Isaiah's statement. I am undone for I am a man of unclean lips, even though you are. And Naamans are dying in their leprosy because the church is not telling them where to find hope. Instead, we're further down than the world is. We don't even have enough faith for our own life. 
And then we would get mad if God healed them and didn't deliver us. But the little girl said, I would that my Lord, if he could just go over to Samaria, he would get healed. This girl is there for a purpose. And she chose to be used by God. I don't want my enemy to get healed. Well, if your enemy got healed and come to know Jesus, they would no longer be your enemy. They would be your brother. He moved. Let's just look at Jesus, right? The little girl didn't get bitter, but Jesus didn't get bitter either. The crowds were loving Jesus. Just a few days ago, man, they were shouting, Hosanna. They were throwing palms. Things were amazing. People were getting healed. Dead people being raised. Blind eyes open. Deaf ears unstopped. He was interrupting funerals. Things were amazing. Everything was wonderful. And now he said, you have to go suffer. I don't want to suffer. I like the crowds and I like the miracles, but you got to suffer. Because if you leave, Jesus, if you do this will, then there's going to be greater things that are going to happen. Now listen, Jesus could have got really, really bitter about this statement. He, he did all these great things. And you know what he says instead of getting bitter and bad about it? He says, and greater things than these shall you do. I wonder how many times we could have that conversation in the church when people's ministries supersede our own or people's anointings are stronger than ours. Instead of tearing them down, why don't we take the example of Jesus? Instead of getting bitter, how about we be a blessing? Well, greater things than these are they going to do. We, we just set the ceiling and our ceiling is now their floor. So... Jesus goes through his little suffering. I don't mean little suffering. His suffering. And instead of bitterness, it was a blessing. And from Jesus' trial and from Jesus' suffering, there is a sermon that was produced. And the sermon that was produced, instead of Jesus being bitter, the sermon was for those that are suffering. It's a sermon to the sinner. It's a sermon to the sick. It's a sermon to the sad. It's a sermon to the person who has squandered. And it's a sermon to the skeptic. And the message that Jesus delivered to the sinner, to the suffering, to the sick, to the sad, to the squanderer, and to the skeptic is this. That whatever is eating you alive, he can heal. Because leprosy was eating Naaman alive. He's dying while he's walking. He's dying while he's living. His body is breaking down. There's a stench. There's a stink. There's, there's scars. There, it's a mess all over the place. One day, maybe his ear fell off and his wife is like, you know, I knew you couldn't hear me anyway. Uh, his whole life was just going crazy. And listen, this is where we're at right now. In our world today, there is a stench and there is a stink. And our world is falling apart. It's just dying right before our eyes and it's up to the church to deliver the message of Jesus that you may be sick and you may be sad you may be stinking and you may be dead but if you come to know Jesus Jesus can restore and rejuvenate and reconcile your life and put it all back together again. So this is just me. This is just Pastor Jason. I felt this way for the last uh, the last few weeks. I feel like that little girl in the house. I feel like that little girl. If you could just get to Jesus, I see your marriage falling apart. I feel. I see your life falling apart. I see your mind falling apart. I see your family falling apart. But if you could just get to Jesus, if you could just come to Jesus, if He could just get a hold of you and lay His hands on you or speak a word over you, my. Jesus would heal what's going on in your life. I'm sick, Pastor, if you could just get to Jesus. I'm sad, Pastor, if you could just get to Jesus. I'm in grief, Pastor, if you could just get to Jesus. My marriage is falling apart. If you could just get to Jesus. So there's letters written. The king of Syria writes letters. He says, my man needs to be healed. And Elisha needs to heal him. No pressure, Elisha. He needs to be healed, and Elisha needs to do it. And so Naaman comes to Elisha, and he says, I want you to heal me. 
I've got leprosy. See? I have something that's eating me alive. And I need you to heal me. Elisha, though, didn't meet with Naaman. Naaman wanted an appointment with the prophet. And the prophet said, no, I'm going to send my servant. We want an appointment with Jesus. But Jesus sends a servant. And we get offended when we have to talk to the servant. Because we wanted to meet with Jesus. Right? The Holy Spirit is the nameless servant. And we want Jesus to heal us, but then the Spirit begins to speak to us about doing something. Or going somewhere. Or trying something. Or maybe you should go forward. Maybe you should go get your hands laid upon you. Maybe you should allow them to anoint you with oil. And we're like, but I wanted Jesus to heal me. And the Holy Spirit saying, if you'll just do what the servant told you to do, then yes, you will get healed. But we get offended because it didn't happen the way we thought it was going to happen. This is Naaman. Naaman became furious. He went away sad. And then here's what he says in the New King James. Indeed, I said to myself, those of you that have the King James Version of the Bible, and this is verses 10 through 14, 2 Kings chapter 5. The New King James renders it. Indeed, I said to myself. The King James says, says, behold, I thought to myself. There's the problem. We think we know better than God. And when God doesn't do it the way we think God should do it and when he should do it, now we're angry with God because I thought that it was going to happen and then it didn't happen that way. He said, he will surely, this is what he thought. He said, I thought to myself that Elisha, he will surely come out to me He will stand, he will call on the name of the Lord his God, he'll wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. That's what I thought was going to happen. I thought I was just going to show up at his house, and he was going to say, and I was going to be healed. And I was going to go back to living the way I've always been living. I was just going to head back to Syria, and nothing was going to change other than my circumstance. But my life would not be changed. And God is more concerned with your life changing than your circumstances. So he's angry. And he says, he leaves. And he says, are not, because Elisha told me, hey, through the messenger, go dip in the river seven times. So for those of you that may not know what the river would look like, they probably should have named it the Big Muddy. It was during the rainy season. And the River Jordan, the mud would run into the river. It was not clear. It was not clean. It was muddy because it was rainy season. Let me just pause right here and tell the church something. When God's power begins to rain down, things will get muddy. Church is going to get messy. And so our pristine way of looking at things, and everybody comes in here wearing a suit and tie. Everybody looks like Clay Bradley when they come and get saved. That is not true. It's going to get messy. And the world is messier today than it has ever been. And so you're going to have to be okay with people as they transition out of their sinful lifestyle to come to know Jesus. It's going to get messy. Here's what he says. Are not the Abana and the the Fapar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. He was angry. He's upset. Posted on social media, that Elisha. How dare he? Our rivers are so much better. The way we used to do it was so much better. Well, let me just pause right there. If it was so good when we had it back yesterday, why is the world in the condition that it's in right now? The reason why this generation is dealing with what we're dealing with right now is because one generation tolerated it, and now another generation is celebrating it. 
And it's time for the church to say, you know what? We're not going to do things the way we used to do them. We're not going to come in here and play patty cake with Jesus. We need a power of the Holy Ghost and fire raining down in every church service. We need tongues. We need the gifts. We need healing. We need everything that God has for us. Oh, we just want to do it the way we used to do it. Three songs and a drive-through sermon to get to McDonald's. My children and your children, they need a divine move of the Holy Ghost and fire. Because a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. Our enemy is confusing our children's mind. And my Bible says that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So we need a wave of the Holy Ghost and God Almighty raining down in our children and our young people's lives so that their mind is made up, committed, and consecrated. I can't believe they would ask my kids to do that. We go away in a rage. Well, your kid... He's either going to get filled with the God's Spirit here, or he's going to get filled with the Spirit of the world out there. And I would much rather them down here getting under the spout where the glory comes out so that their lives are on fire for God so we can burn out the mess that the enemy's throwing at them right through this most powerful sin that has been put in their hand. So Naaman goes away in a rage. His servants come to him and they speak to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, if he had told you to do something hard, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, just wash and be clean? You're upset because it didn't go the way you thought it should go. But if he would have asked you to do something hard, You would have done it. You would have done anything to be healed. You've tried everything, my Lord. You've done it all. But now, he just asked you to wash, to repent, and be baptized. Just to wash and be clean. But we think that's too hard because pride always prevents the miraculous. And all God was wondering is, can he humble himself and wash and be clean so that if he washes and be clean, then the leprosy will be removed out of his life. But when the Holy Spirit begins to tell us, you need to wash, you need to be clean, you need to wash, you need to be clean, you just need to say, I'm sorry, you need to run to the altar, you need to get down to the place where you can just get in touch with God. And all of a sudden, that little easy thing becomes so hard. You mean all those eyeballs are going to be looking at me? Well, right now, my friend, they're not looking at you, they're looking at me. So this is the time that if the Holy Spirit is telling you, you need to wash and be clean, take advantage of the moment where they're trying to figure out what I'm doing so that you can do what you need to do. Because the enemy, here's what the enemy said, oh, if I do that, well, sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so. and You know why they, they, we call them so-and-so? Because those people do not exist. Because there's nobody in this room that is rooting for you to be lost. There's nobody in this room rooting for you to be in bondage. There's nobody rooting for your family to be in a divorce. We have all been in this together. And all of us have had sin in our lives. All of us have fallen fallen short of the glory of God. And what we're saying is, come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Let the Holy Ghost rain down in their life. Let it heal their marriage. Come on, God. Get a hold of our children. Come on, God. That's what we're doing. But the enemy's saying, oh, that's too hard. They're going to write a Facebook post about you. Yeah, you know what it's going to say? Thank God another one come out of the wilderness. But if he told you, he he just told you to do something easy. So point number two, it doesn't have to be hard. Man, now listen, I grew up with Pentecostal calisthenics. Hold on and let go. That's hard. I don't know how to hold on and let go at the same time. But I was told that repeatedly a thousand times in the altar. Hold on and let go. Hold on and let go. And I'm like, I would let go if you would let go. 
You're the one holding on to me. People get massages up here, you know, all rubbing all over the place. It ain't that hard. It ain't that hard. If you believe, you receive. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. If you repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall receive. It ain't that hard. Just receive it. Man, we made people jump through hoops. You didn't repent of your sins enough. Who are you? It ain't that hard. We want to make it hard. Got to be hard. It's got, it's got to be really hard. No, it doesn't have to be that hard. What you're trying to do, that's hard. You're trying to fix your marriage by yourself. That's hard. You're trying to get your finances in order. That's hard. You're trying to save your children. That's impossible. Because listen, the only person that can change a heart and rectify a marriage is Jesus Christ. It's just that easy. But we're making it so much harder because we refuse to do what the Word is telling us to do. Doesn't have to be that hard. So they tell David, hey, listen, if it was a hard thing, you'd have done it. It's quite easy. Go down to a river, dunk yourself seven times. You didn't even have Pastor Kerry doing it. You just got to do it yourself. For a moment there, I thought Pastor Kerry was going to hold Wade under a little bit longer. And that, that would have been a hard thing. Trusting that your father-in-law is going to bring you back up. But it doesn't have to be that hard. Name it, just go dunk yourself seven times. Do it quick, you know, just do it quick. Just get it over with. What do you got to lose? You've tried everything else. You went to every doctor, you went to every clinic, you went to self-help, you went from this doctor, a western doctor, to an eastern doctor. I have both. One of them happens to be my wife. She's the eastern doctor. I pay the western doctor. I just get free advice from the eastern doctor when I get home. Rub this oil on it and do this a little bit. Oh, that's hard. Suitcases of oils going with us. Sir, is that your toiletry bag? Yes, it is. That's hard. But what makes it so difficult for us then is that when we say something in faith that seems too easy, like by his stripes, we are healed. And we go, that's too hard. No, what's too hard is bankrupting yourself, going to doctors upon doctors upon doctors, and one drug to counteract another drug that counteracts another drug to counteract another drug, and pretty soon you're all drugged up. That's hard. But pastor, listen, that whole healing hanky stuff, that's, no. But the Bible says they took the strings of Paul's aprons, and they laid the, the strings of his apron on the sick. And they recovered. That's pretty easy. But we want it the hard way. So when God says, I'm just going to make it easy on you, we don't want it that way. And I just saw the time and I'm already past my time. So he said, what are you going to try? You're going to try this? It doesn't have to be that hard. And there's a turning point that happens. That's point number three. There's a turning point. When we realize that the way of the world is too hard. And we've tried everything the world has to offer. I've got nothing left to lose. What did Naaman have to lose? Just go down to the river. And if I come up after the seventh time and I'm the same, I haven't lost anything. I'm the same. But if I go down to the river and I dip seven times in the river and I come up and the man of God is right, that's a whole different story. <laughs> because my ear that fell off that my wife said that there was a reason why I couldn't hear is now back on my head because he's being restored, not just healed. Now, we got a whole different chapter to write there, right? I went into the muddy river. I went into the, the place I did not want to go. I thought it was too hard, but I come up a new creature. I come up a new man. Everything was restored in my life. But we don't want to try that until we've tried everything else. There has to be a turning point. And I've just got a sense in our nation and in our region, we're at a turning point. 
We've tried everything we can try to curb the violence, to, to curb the hardened hearts, to curb the suicide rates. We've, we've done everything we could do to try all this other stuff. Now it's time to try Jesus. It's time to wash our hearts, get us clean, get us pure. And let me just say something to some of you that love to argue on social media. The Bible is very clear that the, we're not going to argue righteousness into them. Righteousness only comes from God. So all your comments and all your statements and all your arguing, that is doing nothing to further the kingdom of God. That doesn't matter. We're not here to preach our message. We're here to preach his message, which is come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and not Jason McKenzie's Facebook page. Because now those people you just argued with, now you need to invite them to church. Got quiet in here. Because some of y'all are going, what did I say on Facebook? Well, if you're thinking it, you probably should delete it. But it's the Constitution. I'm fighting for what's right. My loyalty is to his word before the Constitution. I'm sorry. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I'm a preacher. And there's not one moment in my life where I'm not a preacher. There's not one moment in my life where I'm not a Christian. This is who I am every day, everywhere I go. This is who I am. You don't believe that? Most of I were in Las Vegas a few years ago. We were just walking through the casino. I had to go to the bathroom. We were in Caesar's palace. It's not much of a palace for Caesar, but nonetheless, I'm going to the bathroom. A hand, which is, men, this is against man code. A hand lays on my shoulder, and he says, well, hello, Pastor McKinnis. What are you doing in Vegas? And I'm like, what are you doing with your hand on my shoulder right here in the bathroom? Like, one of us is gambling right now, and it ain't me. You get your hand off my shoulder, or you're about to win the lotto, baby. Everywhere you go, you represent something and someone bigger than you are. And there has to be a turning point. So Naaman didn't have anything to lose. He's being destroyed and he's headed for destruction. So he goes down and dips seven times in the River Jordan. And he does seven times because that's what the word of the Lord said to him. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Not just healed, but restoration. And there's a difference between a healing and restoration. But God's in the restoration business. God can restore your marriage. Yeah, but she burnt the eggs in 1945. Let it go, man. And let God restore the marriage. And on Tuesday when I was in my office and was praying over this, and I walked out to Pastor Evan, and I said, I'm probably not going to get to point number four, because this is what I felt like the Lord spoke to me on Tuesday. There's no doubt in my mind that there are people in this room who you're dying. You thought you could conceal it. You hid it for so long. You've covered it up. You put on the facade, the mask. And the Holy Spirit come through this room one time, and you didn't respond. It come through another time through Pastor Michael, and you didn't respond. And here's the Lord just saying, if you just do what the word of the Lord said to do, I will not only heal you, but I will restore you. I will make things happen in your life like it had never happened to you. I'll restore your flesh like it would be like the flesh of a baby. I'll make it brand new again in your life. If you'll just do what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do. It's got to be hard to cover it up all the time. It's got to be hard to make it look so good. I mean... You're doing this number and trying to hide the bruises and trying to hide the pain and trying to hide the scars. You, that's hard. 
Why do you keep choosing the hard way? When there's a much easier way. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Naaman is healed of his leprosy. He comes up out of the river and he's healed of his leprosy. Because he did what the Lord told him to do. Yeah, he could have went and dipped in somebody else's river. But that's not where healing was. Healing was in the river that God commanded. They sang a song today, come to the river. They're not saying come to SIWC. They're saying come to God. Come to God's river. And at God's river, there is healing. And there is restoration. And there is reconciliation in God's river. Here's what Elisha said to Naaman. He said, go to the river. The river's not going to come to you. You go to the river. In other words, present yourself at the river. Like we can't baptize you where you are. You have to be presented in baptism. Paul would say in Romans chapter 12, he's talking to the believers after 11 chapters of talking about what sin has done to us and this amazing discourse on the grace and the mercy of God and how it's brought us out. And he says, therefore, so chapter 12 is not detached from the first 11 chapters. He says, the reason why I'm going to say all this to you is because of the first 11 chapters. Therefore, present yourselves. Come forward and present yourself to God. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Here I am, God. I'm going to present myself to you. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to cover it up. I'm not going to be in a facade. I'm going to present myself to you, God. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus heals a leper. He tells the leper, you've been healed, you're whole. Now go, you're going to be healed. Go present yourself to the priest. And when you present yourself to the priest, you're going to be restored. He heals 10 lepers in Luke chapter 17. And he tells them, he says, as you go to present yourself to the priest, you're going to be healed. You're going to be restored. As you go, go present yourself to the priest. So I want to tell you, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. We have a high priest who empathizes with where we're at. He understands how hard your life is. He knows that your life is falling apart. He knows that your marriage is falling apart. All you have to do is present yourself to the priest, the high priest, which is Jesus Christ. And if you'll present yourself to the high priest, where do you present yourself? At the river. And when you present yourself to Jesus, he will heal you. He will restore you. He will reconcile the things that are messed up in your life. He will bring peace where there is confusion. But you must present yourself. Well, the Lord knows where I am. Yes, he does. And he's waiting on you to get out from where you are and get to him. Well, if the Lord would just, if he would just show up in my house. Yes. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And we're like, that's enough. And he said, if any man would hear, get up and come to the door and open the door. Then I will come in and I'll sup with him. Oh, Jesus is at the door. Thank God he's at the door. But that's not the finished project. The finished project is to present yourself at the door and open the door and let him in. And your life will get much easier if Jesus is in your house. And if Jesus is in your home. And Jesus is in your car. And Jesus is in your heart. And Jesus is in your marriage. Present yourself. So just a moment. Pastor Evan and then we're going to sing a song. And there's going to be a temptation. The temptation is i got to get to the parking lot. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. I got to beat so-and-so out of the parking lot. That's hard. When it's just so much easier to stop living life so hard and turn it over to Jesus. Just turn it over to Jesus. I don't know if my youngest daughter's in the room or not, but 
Melissa and I have been trying to come up with ways to break her out of her shell that the pandemic put into her life. All the things that went on. Thursday night, of course, Mom and I were praying for her at camp. We just said, Lord, we're going to turn it over to you. Thursday night, I don't know, it was like midnight or something. We got a phone call. And the person on the other end of the phone was not the same person that we sent to camp on Monday. We did everything we could do. We were trying everything, like forcing it. Like, you're going to go here and you're going to go there. Get out of the room. Get out of this. But when we turned it over to the Lord. And here's what she said. God wrecked me. And most people say, oh, that's bad. No, 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 that's good. Because God needs to wreck our mindsets that we have developed. That we've got it all figured out, but we're dying. We're falling apart, right? Oh, but I got it together, Pastor. It's all good. And then tomorrow, you'll send in an email, and I need prayer. When the Lord is here right now to touch your life. So with every head bowed, with every eye closed, if your life is falling apart, and you've tried everything, You've done everything in your own power to try to put it back together. This is a moment that God has ordained, consecrated for you. This is a moment for you to be honest with God. God, my life is falling apart. I thought we had it all together and it's just falling apart. I raised my children up in your house, God, and now it's just falling apart. I don't know what else to do, God. That's the turning point. That's when you come to your senses because you can't do it on your own. You're going to have to turn it over to Jesus. And let him wash you, cleanse you, make you clean, make you whole in every area of your life. So as every head is bowed and every eye still closed, if that's you, I just want you to step out of where you are from wherever you are in this building. And I want you to come to the front of this place. God's not called you once, he's called you three times. Three times. Three times the Lord has called you and said, it's time. It's time to put this back together. It's time for you to live easy instead of hard. To lay awake at night wondering, what am I going to do the next day? How am I going to handle it tomorrow? But today is the day. Now is the time. See, under the sound of my voice right now, there's some of you think the easy way is to take your own life. That's not the easy way. The easy way is to come to Jesus. That thought right there is the enemy trying to get you to do what he cannot do. He can't kill you. He wants you to do his work for him. That's you in this room today. The spirit of suicide is on you. You need to get up and come because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. There's some of you in this room that the enemy has told you that if you unveil yourself to God, that God would never use you again. That is a lie from the pits of hell. God is going to use you again. He's even using you right now. No matter what you have done this week or last week or last year, whatever habit or hang up or addiction you have, it's time to turn it over to Jesus. And allow him to deliver you from that so that your life is easy. 
So as I pray, if our prayer teams would come, as I pray, would our prayer teams come and lay hands on these that are right here. Heavenly Father, we seal every person in this place by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we dispatch ministering angels, Lord, to minister to those right now that their lives seem to be falling apart. But Lord, right now they're falling into the hands of a graceful God. Lord, they're not falling apart. Everything is coming together. Lord, as the enemy lies to them, Lord, we silence him through the voice of truth right now. We loose the spirit of truth and the spirit of love and the spirit of joy right now on your people's lives. We lay it down today. We lay down our heavy burdens. We lay down the yokes of bondages. And we take the burden that is light. So the rest of you, if you just stand and worship with the team as they sing, in just a moment, Pastor Michael will come and dismiss you. But in this moment, this is a holy moment. This is a sacred moment right here. This is a consecrated moment right here. Their lives that need to be put together again. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to check out our podcast weekly, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also visit siwcenter.org to find out more information about Southern Illinois Worship Center. Be sure to join us right here next week.